Hi, everyone. Welcome to June 4th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Nizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to it. The 2021 Colorado legislative session has just over a week to wrap up. And as usual, lawmakers are headed to a frenzied finish. Among the bills making progress, the $5.4 billion transportation bill was approved and sent to the governor, who recently signed a bill that will also allow cities to force developers to include affordable housing in new projects. Pat Cahoon from Westford, we start with you. We're used to this kind of last few days of the session, usually a little earlier in the year, but the kind of the, the speed and frenzy of it. What headlines stuck out to you? Well, probably whatever's going to happen in the eight hours between when we tape this and when it airs, because they are moving very, very quickly after you know a slow start and some gaps. Five bills were just introduced this week. There's still 80 that are really active, and some of them are going to be very tricky. The pot bill going through, which medical marijuana patients are very upset about because of privacy issues, that one looks like it's going to go through, and that will have long-term ramifications. We have a compromised climate bill coming through that people are hoping Polis won't veto. We have a property tax proposal that is really going to make people ornery. But the transportation thing amazingly did go through. Polis has said he's going to sign it. It's going to raise $3.7 billion over the next years with added fees, gas, ta- gas prices. If you think you're paying a lot now at the tank, get ready. We're going to be going from $0.02 cents to $0.08 cents over the next few years in increases. But our roads need it. So if this is done efficiently and uh, smartly, which is almost never happening with transportation, maybe Colorado will really have invested in its future. I'm still suspecting we'll see some lawsuits over fees that people, because much of this is still paid in fees. Too bad we didn't pass it earlier because, what, it's a 27-cent to 30-cent charge on Amazon and on Uber. We would have made a million, billions over the last year just with Amazon alone. Uh, David Copeland from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, $5.4 billion in fees is an awful lot of money in fees. And I guess the, the, the cynic in me feels that if this is not headed to a legal challenge, that if you can raise this much money in fees for this, then why can't you do it for some other topic down the road? But maybe I'm jumping the gun here. When you look at this bill, where do you think it's headed? It's headed to extract billions of dollars from the working people of Colorado and give it to our uh, nomenclature, the, the ruling class in, in, in the legislature. The, it's, a gas, it's a huge gas tax increase and a huge increase on lots of other taxes. But instead of following the Constitution, which says, well, you can raise taxes anytime you want, just ask the people. Local governments uh, often get approvals for taxes. The state government hasn't because there's less trust on its follow-through, which is very justified here in this fee that is actually a a tax increase uh, because less than half of the new gas taxes you'll pay will go to roads and bridges. Uh, Rather, over half of the money goes to slush funds that they'll pass around and they'll call it climate justice or whatever, but it won't be to help the people who are paying the taxes. A fee is when you rent a dorm room at the University of Colorado and you pay for it, or you rent a towel at at the rec center, you pay for that. This is this has no relation to the people paying the tax versus who's, how it's getting spent. And the 
session should have constitutionally ended in May. There's a 120-day calendar day. That's what the Constitution says, limit on the session. The legislature blew that off last year. By 4-3, to three, the Colorado Supreme Court let them get away with it. And now they're doing it again with even less justification. It's all a usurpation of illegitimate power. Uh, joining us remotely, Eric Sonderman, columnist for the Denver Gazette and Colorado Politics. I'm not sure if you can beat usurpation for other uh, vocabulary you want to use in your answer, but Eric, it's the final week of the session. What stands out to you? Uh, I wouldn't want to usurp any of you guys. Uh, what stands out to me, Dominic, is two things. One is simply the scope of this session. Uh, it will never be said that this was a session that lacked ambition. I mean, from the everything they've tackled and are still tackling in these waning days, uh, it is truly a laundry list. And obviously, with all the stimulus money that Joe Biden and Congress handed them, uh, they're handing out plenty of gravy as well and plenty of dollars. The second thing that stands out to me is the Democratic notion that their majority is now a permanent majority uh, seems to be the case, and it is clearly the way they are governing. Uh, this is not a timid majority. This is a majority that thinks they are bulletproof, that they can do what they want, uh, that uh, Republican votes and Republican legislators are more or less afterthoughts. Uh, and that is um, the new reality in Colorado politics, that not only is it a blue state, but more importantly, Democrats regard it as a blue state and are behaving accordingly. The attorney with state law, uh, with, with Tate law, my apologies, and a former state lawmaker. Penn, you know what this feels like. And again, like we said, it's a different part of the calendar, but it's still the last week of the session. What are some of the things that we should know that are, the lawmakers are experiencing in this kind of a time period? Sure. Well, well, part of what you're experiencing now as a lawmaker is, is if you have bills that are alive on the calendar, you're very nervous and you're very intense because you need to find two things. You need to find votes to get your bills either out of committee or passed on the floor of both chambers. And number two, you need to find a way to talk to leadership to make sure your bill gets calendared so it can move through the process. You don't want to be a bill that's hanging around in the last two days of the session. It's probably going to die. So you really got to work and work and work to push your, push your measure forward. What, what strikes me about this session, and it sort of ties into Eric's topic um, or, or comments, is there are a lot of big ideas in this session that are moving forward and that have gotten approved. I mean, the transportation bill is unique. In over the decades, we've had this philosophical debate over whether you fund more roads and bridges or whether you fund alternatives and transit. And we've got a transportation measure that now does some of both. Um, this, the, the, the thought of the state considering funding uh, an Eastern Plains rail line from uh, Wyoming to New Mexico would have been heresy 10, 15 years ago. Um, although the bill's getting modified, it's even got business support now. In some Republican support, it may pass. A number of the immigration measures are going to change the dynamic in the community. So a lot of big ideas. Um, and if you're a legislator, particularly a Democrat, you got to work your leadership to make sure your bill gets through because it may die just on the calendar. 
Colorado's redistricting is officially in motion thanks to a ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court. The court gave those in charge of drawing redistricting maps the ability to use data other than the census in order to determine where a new district will lie. This decision addresses the delay in the 2020 census data. Uh, David, it really feels like we might just have a bipartisan, fair, non-political way to draw up districts, but I have been considered naive before. Well, let's see what what comes out of it. The the new system still ultimately gives the balance of power to the the Colorado Supreme Court and particularly the the Chief Justice. Uh, And so in the past, the Democratic versus Republican redistricting plans, the the court always found the Democratic plan was superior. Here, I think the the court majority did the right thing. First of all, the the, uh, bill in question from the, the state legislature said if the redistricting commission doesn't comply with what the constitutional text says, then court, you, you, you should like let them go if they made a technical mistake as long as they're substantially compliant. The court's answer was, no, we, we might adopt that standard, but you, the legislature, have got no business telling us what our standard of review is on anything ever. Sometimes we have a really tough standard of review for constitutional provisions we want to protect. Other times we go just the opposite and nullify a constitutional provision just by ourselves, and we get to do that and you don't. That was unanimous by the court 7-0. And then the court 5-2, the legislature also said, well, since the census data is coming in later than expected, you can use preliminary census data instead. And the 5-2 majority of the court said, no, the, the commission might well choose to do that, and that's certainly within their discretion. But you, the legislature, you've got no business telling them what to do, because the whole point of these constitutional amendments was to get the legislature out of the redistricting process. So the only thing the legislature can do in relation to redistricting is only what the new amendment from 2018 specifically allows the legislature to do. And telling them how to use data was not part of what the uh, legislature is allowed. Eric, we have uh, two great lawyers here to get into all the legal side of the opinion. I want to talk politics with you. Uh, it's our job as uh, pundits on Colorado Inside Out to figure out and predict everything that's going to happen from a committee many months from now. When Now that the Redistricting Commission can do their job, what part of Colorado do you think is going to have to brace for the biggest change, whether it be for uh, congressional districts or even state design? Uh, great question, Dominic. First off, uh, you know, I largely agree with David's analysis. I'll let him do the legal piece. The proof here will be in the pudding in terms of what comes out of these two commissions, but good for the Supreme Court for reining in the legislature. The purpose of Y and Z, the two propositions, was to get the legislature out of this game, uh, out of this racket, and I think the court uh, affirmed that. In terms of who has the most at stake on the congressional side, I'm going to be very curious what CD3, the Boebert district, looks like. It has to gain territory, uh, so it will likely pick up where I'm sitting in Grand County near Tabernash today uh, and other parts of the, the sort of the ski corridor that have really been part of the Nagoose district that used to be the Polis district uh, that really belong in the Western Slope district. But Pueblo wants out of that district. 
we'll see what happens. In terms of my first point or my point to the first answer about this state, uh, the Democrats in the state feeling bulletproof and being totally ascendant uh, and thinking that their majority is permanent, if that is not going to be the case, it is only gonna be because these commissions and particularly the one doing legislative redistricting really get serious about creating some more competitive districts that force politics back toward the center and rein in some of the extremes, perhaps, on the left. Penn, from what you've seen and seen from the decisions in the Colorado Supreme Court, uh, has your faith in the process with the redistricting commission uh, increased or stayed the same? Uh, it's declined. And, and let me be, be fair. Um, I was opposed to both of the initiatives and actually debated that on Channel 12 during the, the election cycle. Um, you've got new commissions, but no one out there should fool themselves in believing it's nonpartisan. And I go to Eric's comment just a moment ago in terms of whether the commission takes its job seriously in terms of making competitive districts. Well, competitive districts isn't necessarily the test of whether you've drawn a map properly. We have other criteria, not just census data for the numerosity piece, the same number of people, but you've also got to look at communities of interest, um, you know, geographic issues, not splitting up cities, maybe not splitting up counties, a whole host of things go into this process. One of my concerns about this whole commission approach was you might get a bunch of people who just don't understand or appreciate some of these communities of interest and they just start drawing straight geographic boxes all over the state where you separate communities that have a bond but you build an artificial line. Um, this has always been more art than science. I have argued these maps before the Colorado Supreme Court, I think three times now. I'm not going to do it a fourth. <laughs> um, and in the legislature, I helped draw some of these, these um, especially the, the congressional districts. This is tough work. This is tough work. And, you know, when you look at this commission now, they're even debating over which law firms to hire to advise them. And the law firms they're looking at hiring definitely have a political slant to them. Patty, with the unique nature of this, the 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 commission's brand new. You have the 2020 census, which was all by itself historical. And then trying to figure out a lot of legal opinions. Do you think this conversation is probably far from over? Oh, it is far from over. And let's hope there's some new bars reopening by the legislature, because when they have their meetings, they are going to need them. It's a really tough job, even in the best of circumstances, to figure out how to divide it, even when you remove all the politics. How do you have Aspen out there? Why isn't Aspen in with Boulder? Why You can't really take the like-minded communities, the communities that aren't maybe not geographically tied but are tied in interests, and the fact that you've got rural on the west and on the east, but you've got the... Um, you've got the front range in the middle with all its unusual aspects. I mean, to have Pueblo in three has been one of the stranger developments, and we that will change. But this is such a tricky job, and you've got newbies who at a certain point could just become exhausted and do a little horse trading just to get the job done. So it's too bad they don't have the final numbers, but there are going to be plenty of other influences that affect this and make it so tricky. Denver Public Schools are facing more challenges as of late. School Board Director Tay Anderson announced that he'll be stepping away from his role until the completion of an independent investigation into allegations of sexual assault against him. Meanwhile, Alex Marrero was confirmed as the new DPS superintendent despite pushback from several Latino organizations centering around a lawsuit against his former district. 
Eric, we start with you on this one. Lots of different headlines with DPS. Usually the summer, we would probably not have a lot of school issues, but not this year. What's your take? Well, my take starts with a four-letter word. Uh, it's spelled M-E-S-S. This is a mess. Uh, the district has become a mess over the last year or two. It's unfortunate. Obviously, COVID did not help the situation. I wish uh, the new superintendent, Alex Marrero, well. He has his hands full. I don't envy the job that he's taking over. And then there's this just huge question about his preparedness for the job. He has run a district only on an interim basis, a district that is maybe one ninth the size of DPS. And even in that role, he came under fire, allegations of retribution against employees, etc. cetera. Uh, even the Latino community here seems divided on his appointment. So uh, he's inheriting, as I said, a mess. Real quickly, as to Tay Anderson, uh, he didn't take the leave of absence so seriously that he didn't vote last night. I guess I'd say that if you're going to be a lightning rod and go through life as a lightning rod, as Tay Anderson apparently is, then maybe when there's a thunderstorm, you should stay inside. Uh, the allegations here are only allegations. But do you have to distinguish between a legal process, which will he is presumed innocent and the legal process will run its course, and obviously the other process, which is what is best for the students of DPS. And the best thing is that he step aside until this thing is over and figured out. Penn, what do you take away from the headlines we've seen, uh, especially with Tay Anderson? He's considered uh, by many an up-and-coming elected figure, uh, but uh, and also in very young uh, in comparison to other elected leaders. Uh, but this is significant. Is it being handled correctly? Um, you know, the most disappointing thing about DPS is, in my mind, it's probably the most important political institution in the city because it should be focused on the education of our kids. Um, and, and Eric and I must have some sort of Vulcan mind meld going on today because <laughs> my note I wrote down is it's a straight up mess. And it always is for some reason. They, they just can't seem to get out of their own way. Tay's situation is very disappointing, but it's serious. And I agree with Eric. I mean, you can't half step aside while there's an investigation. Either you commit and say, nope. I'm going to go through the process, but I'm going to do my job until the process is done. Or you say, nope, I'm going to step away until the process is completed. And this in and out, half in, half out doesn't make sense. Tay needs to make a decision. On the superintendent, um, I I can't think of a time when DPS didn't have a controversy over who they selected for their new superintendent. This one seems odd. I can appreciate some members wanted a person of color, but someone who's run such a small district on an interim basis for a short period of time is going to really have their work cut out for them, given just the massive size of the DPS school district and all the kids and all the change going on. And you still have the fight between charter versus traditional and all of that. It's, it's just a mess. Penny, I realize that there is an official independent investigation, and these are allegations, and it's going through those appropriate legal channels. But we also live in the reality of an, a court of public opinion, and I'm wondering if activists on either side of the aisle are going to outpace that investigation and affect Tay Anderson's political career. Well, up and coming, and he's hit the top for a while. Interesting that he wants to step aside, but he take votes on the most important thing facing Denver Public Schools. I mean, what's he stepping aside from? Emptying wastebaskets in the boardroom? That's about all it sounds like right now. Also interesting, though, that 
it's because of legal in, uh, legal issues and investigations into him. But the DPS board did not delay the vote on the superintendent, even though he's facing a lawsuit. Now, that's a different kind of lawsuit. It's not about sex harassment or sex assault allegations. It's about COVID and how it was handled in the New Rochelle School District. But still, if one, if we're looking at one board member who should step aside for now, maybe they should have postponed the decision while they could have looked more at the suit. And more importantly, where his real experience is in dealing with a district that has the challenges Denver will. David, I think DPS would prefer to be talking about graduations <laughs> and things like that right now. Instead, they're talking about this. Uh, what's your take? Tay Anderson, 2020 Colorado Democrats rising star, as named by the party, which, as this story develops, is sort of surprising because apparently when he was running a gun ban group in 2018, there are now six female former staffers of the group that says he created a hostile and, and dangerous uh, work environment. I wonder why they, I don't know when they came forward or why they weren't listened to uh, Earlier on, uh, he said he had to vote and to provide a six to one on the uh, selection of the superintendent because he wants to put kids first. Um, given the allegations against him, that has kind uh, of have multiple uh, meanings. We'll we'll see what the investigation shows about the sex abuse, but it's obvious to everyone he's a grifter, shallow, demagogic, mainly concerned with advancing himself. The gap in statesmanship between Abraham Lincoln and Lauren Boebert is kind of small compared to the gap in statesmanship between the Lauren Boebert or anybody else you don't like versus him. He's a, he's a dis continuing disgrace on the body politic and an actively harmful to the Denver public schools. Let's get a very quick take on this last one. A Arapahoe County District Court judge blocked a, a portions of an Aurora campaign law, uh, uh, campaign financing law that, uh, the, sorry, the court granted an injunction to suspend the rule that prevented incumbents from campaigning for other candidates that Mayor Mike Kaufman claimed was targeting him. Uh, Penn, your quick take on this one. A significant win for Mayor Mike Kaufman? A, a significant win, but it just, it's a portent of problems to come. You've got a city council where I think now someone announced that they're going to have six new council members, either due to term limits or people who just don't want to run again. The mayor is at odds with city council over whether there should be a camping ban, um, how to deal with um, the unhoused, police reform. Um, Aurora's got a whole host of issues, and I don't know if Mike helped himself by suing his own city government. Uh, Patty, as uh, Penn stated, uh, Mike doesn't already has a pretty uh, difficult relationship with the city council. Uh, did this just get markedly worse? Well, he certainly helped our conversation at this table. The other thing that he just had, had a loss, the, uh, his camping ban proposal didn't make it out of committee. It was killed in Aurora. I think he'll be able to bring it back. But Aurora's city council makes Denver's look happy. <laughs> uh, David, are we going to see more partisanship in uh, local races at the at the municipal level? We're, uh, maybe not necessarily partisan and Democratic versus Republican, but yeah, elections are about ideology in part. Uh, congratulations to the Public Trust Interest Public Trust Institute, which is the public interest law firm that, that won this, I think, important free speech case. It's fine to say if you're an elected official when you're working during the day, just do your job, don't take, don't use public resources to campaign. But outside of that, they ought to be free to speak their minds on, on the issues. Eric, we go to you, wrap it up for us. 
I'll be very quick. It's good to know that the First Amendment uh, still applies in Aurora. Well, let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. It's just a lucky guess, but the disgrace is that I did not win the million dollars in the COVID drawing. But the other issue is that despite putting in $5 million plus these scholarships, it doesn't look like the vaccination rate has been affected positively. In fact, it's gone down. You're rarely wrong around here, but I hope you're wrong about that. We'll find out after the taping. David. The unelected Denver Sheriff's Department continuing to screw around with people who are applying to renew their concealed carry permits. People put their per- applications in weeks in advance, and the, they just sit there uh, as the Sheriff's Department moves extremely slowly through renewals, and then their license expires and they, they can't carry. Uh, their continuing abuses maybe suggest that instead of a licensing system, we should move to what 21 other states now have, which is, is permitless carry. If they didn't screw it up, we could stick with our current system, but they're, uh, they're active obstructionists of uh, how the law is supposed to work. Eric, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Back to Tay Anderson. My disgrace, Dominic, is all those who want to play political games and really not hold their own to account. There are a whole lot of Republicans out there and conservatives piling on Tay Anderson, but turning a blind eye to Matt Gates or even to their former president, Donald Trump. On the other hand, there are Democrats who want to pile on Republicans when they uh, misbehave and yet uh, have uh, the cat has got their tongue and their silence speak vo- speaks volumes when it comes to Mr. Anderson. Penn, we go to you. Yeah, mine is DPS as an institution, not necessarily Tay. They have got to find a better way of dealing with their issues without blowing it up in the press every time they have an internal disagreement. This is not good for kids. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Um, so long to the first two safe camping sites that, by all accounts, did very well. It's only a drop in the bucket with what Denver needs to do with the homeless, but good luck to the new ones opening. One just moved to Regis this week, and soon we'll have the one in Park Hill, which will be a topic of this cut table for a long time to come. David. The truth, which is finally coming out, and it turns out that the SARS-CoV-2 virus most likely did originate in the Wuhan Virology Lab, funded by U.S. taxpayers, for its gain-of-function research. Uh, And that was always more credible because that's why it helps explain why the Chinese government did work and continues to work so hard on the cover-up. You can't trust Facebook or the New York Times to censor information uh, because often what they end up censoring is the truth. Eric, we go to you for Say Something Nice. How about uh, your Colorado Avalanche and your Denver Nuggets? I'm much more of a hockey fan than a basketball guy, but both of them are on to the second round, and the Avs are up 2-0 in their second round. The Avs have not yet lost a game in this playoff. Uh, Good luck to both of them, and it's much fun. Here, here. I wonder if Pepsi is regretting not uh, re-signing that deal for the arena. Uh, Penn, we go to you. You know, I'm with Eric again. My point was the Nuggets. I mean, this is a team that's advanced to the second round again, frankly, with a bunch of guys you never heard of before the start of the season. They've had a rash of injuries, but they just keep going strong, and hopefully they have the NBA MVP on their team also. 
here, here. And I want to say something nice, a special thank you to all of you who supported our special CIO online fundraiser last week. If watching online is not your thing, that's okay. You'll have an opportunity to actually watch it broadcast over the air. You'll be able to watch that on June 20th at 4 p.m. That's a, spun- a Sunday. We usually have a special repeat there. We thought, you know, why not be able to share this special hour with you? Also, special shout out to Tim Jackson. He was a part of that uh, very special night with us and also a key supporter of the program. Tim, thanks for everything you do, whether it be donuts or everything else, you're here for us and we appreciate it. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thank you.